Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. Broken liquor bottles and crushed beer cans littered the ground around the entrance. Trash cans overflowed with the remains of hell-raising condiments and fans continued to pile on the debris. The queue almost wrapped around the venue. The biting cold December night turned the line into a torturous death march. The steady drizzle did nothing to improve the situation either. But the fans remained in great spirits. And I do mean, in the spirits. Fans continued to sip from white styrofoam cups and looked both ways before shooting airplane bottles. If we were going to wait, what was the incentive to stop the party early? Teenagers in pink Floyd shirts giggled through bloodshot and squinted eyes. The weather nor the weight bothered them. Time was subjective in their world. But most of all, they were just happy to be there, man. When I finally made it to the top of the queue, I walked through the threshold and the heater blasted my body like the best windshield defroster. The inside reeked of stale beer, but it was as comforting as a yule log on Christmas morning. Truthfully, it had added to the charm of the venue. The insides looked like they hadn't been touched since 1982. Decor showed concerts past of classic rock giants. Fleetwood Mac, Kiss, Motley Crue, The Eagles, David Bowie, Prince, Van Halen, Aerosmith. They'd all been here before. Dim and faded, the stage lights emitted an orange, hazy view through the surging smoke. It lingered over the audience like a 420 festival. However, the smell of cheap beer was so prevalent that it would have been difficult for even the greenest of bud to mask the smell. But the 10,000 fans in attendance screamed for rock and roll. For a band paving the way is perhaps the most popular modern rock act, the crowds weren't constrained to the youths. It was a 50-50 mix of stone teenager and old heads who were around to see all those musical giants decades ago. But there was one common denominator, the dress code. It was a who's who of band shirts. It was a lighthouse for their rock and roll authenticity. An answer to the unwritten test of rock and roll gatekeeping. How real are you, man? It felt like I'd taken a step into a rock and roll time machine. Welcome to 1972. You hear that new Stones album? Yeah, we're seeing Sabbath on Thursday. The venue's yellow fold-back chairs and cold concrete insides were like the back of every classic rock live album. Even the fans looked like those rock-hungry teens on the back of Kisses Alive. It was equal parts unsettling and comforting. I've said it too many times before, but this was the sort of thing I chased. I wanted that rock and roll nostalgia. I can't wait for time travel to become reality so I can go back in time to see those rock legends of yore. But this almost felt like a gimmick, a manufactured recreation. Like we were on the set of Almost Famous, or if I'm being cynical, Spinal Tap. Even the general buzz around the evening was a parody of what gets touted as quote-unquote the return to rock, the beckoning death rattle for a bygone era. My teenage brain thrived for this kind of ostentatious pretension. But now that I was older, it all felt so forced. Why couldn't rock just be rock? Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and love relievers. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this season three, episode four of Yesterday's Concert, our Jam General takes us to December 16th, 2019. 
Grab your earplugs as we go to the Nashville Municipal Auditorium and nowhere other than Nashville, Tennessee for Greta Van Fleet. There was no need to rush through the halls of my high school campus to make it to my next class. Study hall was an excuse to fill out the schedule, not study. It was glorified academic babysitting. I strolled the halls taking my sweet time. As a senior biding my remaining days and felt like I was king of the school. I had a girlfriend, some friends, college on the horizon, and most importantly, I had my style. I had the respect of my fellow rockers with a closet full of rock and roll shirts. And today I felt especially untouchable. My black Pink Floyd Wish You Were Here tea. I strolled into class, slung my backpack on the floor, and plopped into the creaky wooden desk. The football coach turned babysitter didn't even peep from behind his newspaper to see who walked in the classroom. What's on your shirt? The disgusted face of my fellow senior classmate Melanie stared at me. Is there a booger on it? I double-checked, but nope. Only Pink Floyd. The front was an image of the diver piercing a placid lake without a splash. It was an image from the inner sleeve of my favorite Pink Floyd album. It's Pink Floyd, I proclaimed. I was always ready to push my favorite music of a bygone era on my peers. Pink who? Who is that? I've never heard of him. She responded. Oh, they're a cool classic rock band. They do all this like spacey rock. This picture comes from an album that's about an old bandmate that they lost. Oh, that sounds weird. Well then, Melanie. What a vibe check. The popular girl's investigation was complete and I was already deemed unfit for cool. I plugged in my earbuds and turned up the fog hat, but those words kept pulling me back. How did she not know who Pink Floyd was? The proof was in my own retort. Classic rock wasn't something the kids were breaking down the doors for. I had the respect of my fellow rockers because they too were the outcast. I wasn't trying to be unique in my music taste. It's just what I liked. Since then, I've reckoned with my taste. Modern music isn't bad. And let's be honest, there was a lot of crap that came out of the quote-unquote golden age of music if we're examining everything pre-1984. But in high school, the classic rock identity was who I was. It's not a phase, Mom. It's who I am. I dreamt of being in a rock band that had heavy guitar riffs and sang about dragons and hobbits. I don't think I was alone in that either, though. But where I grew out of it, there was still a surge of bands that made a dollar off that mindset. Even in the early aughts, it was obvious that rock and roll was dying, or at least on the pop charts. Occasionally you'd have something kind of cool peak for a few weeks, but it never lasted. Then there were bands like The Sword, Jet, The Darkness, Wolfmother, Priestess, and The Parlor Mob. It was a surge of like-minded rock and rollers piggybacking off the classic rock radio stations. It was a rock and roll revival of sorts. I once heard that new metal was a death rattle for rock music. So if new metal was the death rattle, the retro bands of the early aughts were the nail in the coffin. And I say that with complete love and respect towards the bands of the genre. I was a true believer. I thought the guys were the rock and roll saviors. Wolfmother's still one of my favorite bands, but we'll go deeper on that on another episode. In hindsight though, it was clear that this was pop radio's final tolerance of modern rock, at least for the foreseeable future. I mean, can you blame top 40 DJs? The alternative rock of the early 90s was a fresh take after the grandiosity and excess of the 80s metal scene. Then after producing the biggest things since the Beatles, 
Kurt Cobain dies, and so does rock and roll that crosses the aisle. You can't give the world bands like Creed, Nickelback, and the new metal scene and expect listeners to tolerate your crap anymore. Like a soured relationship, it was time to cut their losses. Since then, rock fans haven't stopped whining about their treatment in popular music. I won't say they have a point, but in the last decade and a half, what rock bands have broken the scene to some real mainstream success? If any, it ain't many. And before I sound too jaded, I want to be very clear. I don't care. There's a lot of inventive and great music being made these days. To say otherwise is foolish and narrow-minded. But we have to acknowledge that traditional rock and roll as we know it doesn't exist anymore. I guess my Pink Floyd shirt was really a sign of that. of classic rock radio was interrupted when the room was plunged into darkness. Purple and blue stage lights illuminated the stage. The silhouette of four figures emerged from the shadows. Their outfits glimmered in every shimmer of light. We made it, it. a voice shrieked from the stage. The stage lights burst with a flash as the guitar hit a massive riff. All right, Nashville, the singer screamed again. His shrill elicited another excited scream. The stage's newfound illumination revealed the fresh faces of four young lads dressed in extravagance. The singer was in a skin-tight sequin jumpsuit covered with shapes of suns, moons, flowers, or something. The other members matched in their own sequin hippie flair reminiscent of Elvis' greatest mid-70s stage car. The band wasted no time rocking the dust right off the walls of the ancient venue. Opening the show with Highway Tune, this was the band's first officially released single. It will undoubtedly be used in a Scorsese film about a touring rock band at some point in the future. Their anticipatory energy was turned up to 11, just like the band's amplifiers. They made no apologies as a blistering guitar solo reverberated off the concrete walls. The bass line plowed full steam ahead like an unrelenting big rig. The drums pounded like the hammer of the gods and lead singer Josh Kiska wailed about the quintessential classic rock muse. Good sex. Youthful sparkle adorned the band's faces. Every smirk and gaze over the audience had that little twinkle in the corner of their eye. They were living the rock and roll dream of every aspiring teenage musician. As an audience member, their youthful energy felt like seeing someone's little brother play lead in his first rock band. You are so proud of how far little Jimmy's come. He only botched the one solo this time. Except with Greta Van Fleet, they took that adolescent aspirations and set them on fire. They worshipped at the altar of 70s rock and roll. But unlike little Joey, Greta Van Fleet was actually good. Maybe there was a time when these young men were naive rockers, posting their way through fake it till you make it. Perhaps there was a time they relied on a cliche rock impersonation. But tonight they strutted like rock and roll vets. Guitarist Jake Kiska took to the lip of the stage. He struck his cherry red Gibson SG. Going back to back with the singer, his brother Josh, it was like every singer-guitarist dynamic duo I'd ever seen. The crowd fake-worshipped at the guitarist's feet as he ripped his guitar solo. It filled every insatiable void left by classic rock radio. The band's long hair flowed and bounced as they grooved to their songs. From my seat in the back stands, 
The stage was hidden in a hazy view. The air was choked out by the aroma of pot smoke and the stale beer left by Judas Priest show in 1982. The band offered no reprieve during their next number, Edge of Darkness. The song was a heavy hitter, but what stole the audience was another absolute shredfest guitar solo. I was impressed by the solo and highway tune, but good grief, the man had no mercy. It was shamelessly ripped from the liner notes of your favorite classic rock live album. It was five minutes of blistering riffage up and down the neck of his guitar. Jamming isn't a big deal outside of, well, the jam community, but this solo was enough to make any rock fan check out the Grateful Dead. I stood with the rest of those in my section taking it all in. It was difficult to believe what I was seeing. I watched some kids at the back of the floor rock out in their classic rock shirts. They headbanged, air drummed, and screamed with devil horns in the sky. The thoughts of a rock and roll revival kept seeping into my perception of the show. The rock just doesn't stop. I've been caught in this trap before. I remember the bands of my youth. Those bands were going to be the saviors of the bygone era that so many pined for. There was an audience seeking out quality rock and roll. But I'm unsure if we were living in the past or hoping for the future. If you're anything like me, and imagine most music fans are, I too once had grand visions of becoming a rock star. These were mostly during the dreamy days of my youth while I spent too much time in my rock and roll wallpapered room. But the swagger of being a rock star is more alluring than the actual grueling road to becoming one. Instead of spending hours practicing an instrument, I spent more time studying the rock and roll monoliths. Like almost every other music writer, I wanted to be cool, but I never stood a chance. That teenage dream was my driving force until the force and reality of life pushed me in a different direction. I cut my hair, got a job, and started wearing collared shirts. That's where my path deviates from Greta Van Fleet. They never lost sight of that teenage dream. They were still caught up in that rock and roll fable. And while it works for them, where does the rock and roll revival start and reality end? Hello brothers and sisters. You know, it's good to be here. You guys make us feel so welcome. It's like we're at home. We want to thank everyone for waiting out this weather today. Now we're just kind of up here in this space together. The next song is about unencumbered love. So feel free to sing along if you feel inclined. Smoke them if you got them. Show up to this point had been a heavy sucker punch of rock. With the next song, they showed the softer side with the tease of John Denver's The Music Is You. That seeped right into their song, You're the One. It was weird to hear the band strum an acoustic guitar after all the riffage, but the song still rattled my sternum at unprecedented decibels. The softer side didn't stop fans from playing air guitar and spilling their beers. No one is immune from jamming an air guitar or pushing their vocal cords to match a high-pitched sing-along. Watching those guys strut around the stage, I realized Greta Van Fleet would have been my idol during my formative years. That is, had they been making music rather than learning to use the big boy potty and coloring in the lines. Their poster would have hung on my teenage tributary walls. Up until this point, the show had been about what I expected. A great rock and roll show that leaned into the ideals of rock and roll revival. It was heavy on the pretension of the classic rock of yore. The musicians took themselves too seriously in a way that was intended to add mystique to the band. The singer used a faux British accent that I can only assume is a local dialect in certain parts of Michigan. And let me be clear, I'm not hating on them. This was a stage production. They were actors in pursuit of a role, and it worked. Jake stepped back to his amplifiers and began lightly plucking his guitar. 
He was leading us on a dramatic quest. Light exited the stage and the band was left to silhouettes again. This is the part of the show that we strongly encourage you to use a bit of that imagination. It's going to be kind of a visual thing, an experience, if you go there. This is when we travel the trail into the savage territory. Daniel Wagner, the drummer, pounded his kit through a drum fill that brought the other members together. It was a clash of instruments. Josh floated on bare feet back to the microphone. As we go, we'll allow Jake to act as a rock and roll Sherpa. That may help with the visuals. I don't know, I'm just throwing things out here. Feel free to throw things out there as well. Again, they're playing a part, right? There's only a few scenarios where this would have been cool. The 70s. If I was still a teenager. If I was stupid high. However, none of this reality, and right now, was pretentious. Gosh, I sound so old. Is my age caught up with me? When did the mystery of rock and roll die? Jake took center stage for six minutes during Black Flag exposition. It was a guitar solo wet dream. The band built the music before dropping out to a large wail from the singer that seemingly stretched into the stratosphere. As his voice faded, the band came back in stronger and harder. The guitar picked up speed and virtuosity. It was straight from the crypts of classic rock. It was Tolkien, Bud Sharks, and Mystery. This was a journey jam in every way possible, and I was happily eating crow. Stretching on for almost 13 and a half minutes, I'd seen jam bands play shorter songs. I was confused by the length of the jam, which left me dazed and wanting more. For a group of die-hard rock and rollers, the crowd was all in. Those air guitars got whipped out. The Sherpa was working overtime to get those kids safely through their Pink Floyd high. What other rock band was doing this? Then again, what other rock band was composed of kids barely old enough to drink and were selling out an arena on a Monday night? For all the pretension and world building they did, I have to admit, it worked. The band took a page from the Grateful Dead after Black Flag Exposition. Like the soft song the band always played after Drums Into Space, Greta Van Fleet let the mammoth jam slide into a reprieve. As they started watching over, the band released the grips they held on their audience. It was a palate-cleansing rock song before ending the set with the cold wind and when the curtain falls. It's cliche now for bands to leave the stage and pretend they've been beckoned back by the audience to return for their biggest hits. But in one of the few instances of actual rock and roll, the crowd actually demanded an encore. The crowd stomped, cheered, and chanted, screamed and pleaded the band for more. They pulled their cell phones and lighters from their pockets to illuminate the room. That's the brightest starry night I've ever seen. And it's LED. I saw that cloud. Heavy. We're dedicating this to all the celebrating. From there's a little from the fires right there. Closing the show with Flower Power, Watch Me, and their hit Safari Song, the rock and roll faithful were charged with taking the revival to the streets. Their instructions were clear. The crowd dispersed back into the cold, reinvigorated on rock and roll. It was a beautiful sight for all those about to rock. Running back to my vehicle, the biting cold tore at my face, leaving me chapped and shivering once I found the warmth of my car. As I got settled in for the three-hour journey back to Memphis, I turned the car on and began letting the heat wash over me. The next thing to happen, I can't even make up. So if you made it this far, you're probably thinking, 
Wow, he made it this far without a single mention of the band's uncanny similarity to a certain classic rock giant. Well, you're right, so let's end that immediately. Let's be real. They sound a lot like a certain band. There's a lot of similarities. Like a lot. Some people love it. Others use it as a harsh means to critique the band. I'd like to preface that upon my arrival, I was listening to a podcast. I hadn't opened a music app during the show, and there's no way I could have set this up. But my phone connected to the Bluetooth stereo and began playing. From the speakers rang the mightiest of the mighty, the plunging anthem of a bygone era, Achilles' Last Stand by Led Zeppelin. I burst into laughter. The irony was too strong. Now this sounds familiar. Like some kind of Jimmy Page black magic, the mighty Zeppelin had been summoned. How great would it be if Siri heard Greta Van Fleet and started getting the lead out? Hey Siri, play Led Zeppelin. As I said earlier, the band wears their influences on their sleeves. And that's not a bad thing. At least they're not a cover band. But the more you listen, the more you pick up on their distinctness. And the more I listen to Greta Van Fleet, the less I see the similarities. They sound more like a generic rock band formed in the dark basement of a 70s record label than they do the gods of the genre. For all the pretensions they've committed to a persona that works. I mean, they sold out a 10,000 person arena on a Monday night. But as polarizing as their music has been, people need to take major issue with another aspect of the band. They've clearly discovered time travel technology and have yet to share the secret. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes, or connect with us on Twitter, at ConcertPod, or on Instagram, at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes.